Welcome in. Happy Friday. It's nice to have you. And look, um, we're going to open the lines in the three o'clock hour. We'll do our free for all Friday, uh, give you an opportunity to weigh in on what you want to weigh in on. But there is a lot of of things happening, lots of news to, to talk about. And yesterday, some pretty contentious back and forth between Fonnie Willis, the DA in Fulton County, and and those that are on the side of this argument that she engaged in a relationship, an inappropriate relationship, with the man that she had hired to lead the prosecution of Donald Trump in Georgia. And the money was certainly an issue. I think at one time Fannie Willis said that she had uh, always had cash on hand and she doesn't need a man to pay her way. And she always would reimburse Nathan Wade for the trips that they took because she doesn't need a, a man to pay her way. She also said something that I thought was interesting to the tune of, um, you know, I, I would always have money at my house. I would always have some socked away anywhere between $1,000 and $15,000. And, um, you know, I, I, I always worked hard for my money. And even the campaign money that I had, I took some of that and put it in my house. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Wait a second. What did you say? You took campaign money and kept it in your house? And what? spent that money on trips. I mean, it was pretty stunning stuff. And I think that when you when you look in totality, I think the judge is probably going to agree that that they're going to be off this case. And it is going to throw that case in a tailspin in Fulton County. And and certainly, um, you know, I talked about it yesterday. Th- this idea that that not only if there if this case gets kicked to another county, if it's if it gets kicked to another prosecutor, um the idea that Donald Trump is going to benefit not only from a time perspective, right? This is somebody who, uh, in in Fonnie Willis, who wants to expedite this trial and get and get these people convicted, or at least uh, have uh, uh, their arguments heard in front of a jury to convict Donald Trump. But if this gets kicked to somebody else, you're talking about years worth of work done as an investigation into these allegations, these these indictments, these charges that Donald Trump faces. And so now it's going to take a considerable amount of time, a considerable amount of time and manpower to get caught up on this case. And I think that will certainly benefit Donald Trump. Also, uh, CNN today, some analysis that they put out that this case, this hearing on Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade could help Trump at a jury pool. Maybe winning politically, CNN says of Donald Trump, as they shift attention from Donald Trump and the Fulton County case to Willis and Wade. Um, and I, I think that is something that's pretty interesting. Uh, and so we'll see certainly how that plays out. In the meantime, Alexei Navalny, who was truly one of the first people to mount a legitimate counter campaign to Vladimir Putin in Russia. Somebody who survived uh, 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 many attacks has been jailed in Russia and was not long ago transferred to the, like the Siberian circle uh, in the, in the North of the country at a hard labor camp. He's died 
And the questions were, okay, well, how involved was Vladimir Putin here? Well, according to the president, uh, he is uh, squarely to blame. Because he said, make no mistake about it, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death, uh, according to Joe Biden. Uh, he was a leading critic of Vladimir Putin. Um, again, outside of Putin, the, the only other person in recent memory that mounted any sort of uh, of a really effective political movement. And this is somebody who talked about free and fair elections, uh, transparency, which is obviously not something that they, they normally get in, in Russia. So the White House is putting these, these charges, these allegations squarely on the shoulders of Vladimir Putin. Also, uh, coming up at 248, we're going to talk to Merrick Masters. He's a labor expert at Wayne State University. We, we, we talked, talked a lot about the UAW strike with him over the course of, 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 that, uh, of that strike and those negotiations. I also told you yesterday that Ford is considering their their manufacturing footprint when it comes to building these vehicles, citing specifically their relationship with the UAW and how it has deteriorated. And I, and I, I told you yesterday that it feels like when, when these companies engage in these contract negotiations with unions and they take the type of, of tactics that the UAW did, I mean... You don't necessarily just get to 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 whistle on by and and everybody's going to come back around the campfire and sing kumbaya. That's not how it works. You know the UAW took some pretty drastic measures for their rank and file, but at the end of the day, they got what they needed for for their for their workers. But from an automaker's perspective, from Ford's perspective, it's much different. And and. You know, the breaking of norms and the throwing away of contracts or counter offers in the garbage live on Facebook. I mean, it's it's different. The tone is different. So while Ford says that they're going to have to think about their 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 footprint that they build vehicles in. The UAW is threatening a new strike of Ford, this time at the Kentucky truck plant. If a local contract isn't resolved, nearly 9000 workers at the Kentucky trunk plant could go on strike on February 23rd if a local contract with the with the UAW local 862 isn't resolved. And this was a plant that was targeted in the stand-up strike by the UAW during the negotiations. They produced the Ford Super Duty pickup trucks, the full-size Ford Expeditions, and the Lincoln Navigators. And... I mean, to me, it it certainly feels like that is a that would be a a direct kind of shot correlation coming back, and the UAW was weighed in, and they and they you know, the Ford has to make sure that they uh, are doing things the right way and whatever. It, it, businesses are going to do what's in the best interest of the business, and I just don't think it's ever a given to expect companies to to what, stay around here because this is where they started? I mean, it's just not, it's not the reality in 2024. Uh, also, 
Remember Claudine Gay, the former president of Harvard, and the complete botched uh, testimony to House Republicans and 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 the, and the House Committee when they were talking about safety and security and anti-Semitism and the calling of genocide uh, on Jews on on Harvard's campus, and uh, she said something to the effect of it's context dependent. Um. And 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 I think a lot of people, rightfully so, were were shocked and, quite frankly, disgusted. Um, Claudine Gay is no longer the president of Harvard, partly because of the efforts of some to dig up her history and and the the plagiarism uh, as a as an educator, as as a a, a learned scholar, uh, somebody who has has had plagiarized in the past to the point where she she resigned. But now the Republicans in the House of Representatives are getting back at it. They are subpoenaing Harvard for an anti-Semitism probe. Virginia Fox is the North Carolina Republican who issued the subpoena. She's the chair of the House Education Committee. Uh, the, those at Harvard who were subpoenaed include Harvard's Corporation Senior Fellow Penny Pritzker, Interim President Alan Garber, and Harvard Management Company CEO N.P. Narvecker. It's the first time the committee has issued a subpoena against Harvard University. And in a statement, Fox saying, I will not tolerate delay and defiance of our investigation while Harvard's Jewish students continue to endure a firestorm of anti-Semitism that has engulfed campuses. And I and uh, the, the campuses. And I, I think that that's probably something that is going to draw the ire of those at Harvard. But for those that are just wanting accountability by these universities, and I think they've done a, a, a little bit of a better job, certainly, probably partly because of the, the efforts of Claudine Gay and, and uh, those at MIT and Penn uh, that shared very similar sentiments. Um, I think those are probably those, those folks uh, looked at that educators and and administrators across the country and said, well, we can't, we got to do something different than that. We can't, we can't take it to that level. So I think things have been a bit better, uh, but now lawmakers going back after Harvard. All right, we got to take a break. Michigan voting changing again. What does it mean? We'll talk about it next on JR Afternoon. So after the adoption of no reason absentee Voting, uh, Michigan elections have have changed, and they're about to change again. Why? How? It's where we welcome in Beth LeBlanc, the reporter at the Detroit News. She joins us. Beth, good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, we're getting a shake up once again on our on the way that we vote and our elections here in Michigan. What does it all mean? What can we expect? Yeah, so tomorrow uh, we'll start nine days of early voting, and this is the first statewide election where we'll use that. Um, of course, voters approve this this way of voting in the November 2022 proposal, too, which instilled a ton of new voting rights. But one of the largest changes was this required nine days of early voting ahead of a statewide election, ahead of certain statewide elections. And um, yeah, so tomorrow it starts off for the first time in, it depends on where you live, where it's going to be located. So some places they do them countywide, some are by municipalities, some municipalities have like joint early voting centers. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's definitely, it's, it's 
we're, it remains to be seen how it changes the way people vote, um, but it's definitely a new option available to Michigan residents now. So w- this is this is um, uh, because you can vote early. It's a it is kind of a different way of voting altogether because you can do it early. But the the patterns I don't know that we'll ex- we'll see those changes uh, uh, for this primary uh, in just a couple of days, eleven days. Um, people still may be maybe voting absentee or going to the ballot. When do we expect to see that change of more people voting early or, or, or do we expect that to, to go up significantly because we have that option now? You know, we, we talked to a lot of different experts about this and they said it's just difficult to tell because every, you know, other states have this type of availability with early voting, including Florida and Texas. Um, but everybody's experience with it kind of differs depending on resident, uh, you know, preference at the end of the day. Um, and in Michigan here, I mean, the, the closest thing we have to kind of measure what type of shift we could see is the the implementation of no reason absentee voting in the 2020 election. So in 2018, um, Michigan law changed to allow for no reason absentee voting. And you saw a huge surge in 2020 of people voting no reason absentee course that was also during the pandemic so that was driving a little bit of it but still through 2022 you saw some some big numbers in the 40 to 50 percentile of folks who were voting absentee now i think the question here is like how to what extent do michigan residents adopt early in-person voting and Mm -hmm. and where are we polling from are we polling from those who would usually vote absentee or are we polling from those who would usually vote in person on election day so that nobody really knows how it's going to shake out and and the hard part is is that clerks have to be prepared for any reality right like they have to be prepared for if there's a rush tomorrow to an early voting site or if there's just a trickle throughout the nine days so they they really have to be prepared for a lot of possibilities right now i I guess my gut would tell me you'd probably be pulling more from people who would be sending in absentee ballots those who like to go to the polls, those who like to go fill in their ballots on Election Day um, probably aren't going to do do the early voting this year. Um, maybe it, it goes around the next cycle later this year, potentially. But I would feel like you, you're probably going to pull more from those absentee voters. In the meantime, do we have enough uh, staff in clerk's offices all around the state for this? I, I, I remember when this was passed, it was one of the questions is, are, do we have enough people working in clerk's offices to manage this? Yeah, I mean, definitely that's been a challenge that some clerks have faced. Now, I think they're in good positions, at least for the primary. I think looking toward the November general election, they're definitely going to have to increase those ranks to to handle the expected increase in voters and everything. Um, but luckily, a lot of the clerks, so there were a few different communities last year who ran pilot programs with some other elections where they did nine days of early voting just to to try it out to see what demand was like to see what type of staffing they would need and from those few pilot programs the state and and municipalities across the state have been able to extrapolate kind of some you know some at least examples of what it might look like so they're trying to prepare for that. They've had increases in funding, probably not as much as they would have liked, but there have been some increases. Um, so they're doing their best to get prepared for this. And I, I guess time will tell over the next several days to see uh, kind of what sort of demand there is there. 
I'm curious to know because when no when when no reason absentee voting was adopted after 2018 uh, and implemented in 2020, I think Democrats leaned into it hard. Republicans didn't. Uh, Republicans at a national level are talking about voting uh, early by absentee, um, but. Republicans at the state level, I don't know that we've heard uh, a kind of a decision or not how they're going to try to use this in their favor politically from these parties. Have we heard how how they're viewing this? Yeah, I mean, I I think definitely uh, you're going to be it is true that in past elections, Republicans have either not emphasized or even discouraged absentee voting in the past. Um, and, and it is typical over the years that, that Democratic voters do lean more into absentee, um, even without that encouragement or discouragement. Um, but I think you're definitely going to see a change in, in the way Republicans go about encouraging voters to, to get to bank their votes early, right? If, if you can get a vote in early for your candidate, then it's a guaranteed vote. Whereas if you wait until Election Day and something comes up, it's possible they miss their chance to go in. So I think we talked to one political consultant in Macomb County who said, absolutely, the message is changing here. We we have to get people there early, either absentee. He said their preference actually would be in-person early voting, because then if hmm. there's a problem with the ballot, the machine spits it right back at, at you and you can correct it. Whereas with an absentee, it's more difficult to catch that error and correct it in time. Um, so they're this consultant at least said he's going to be encouraging um, candidates to get out there and encourage folks to, to take advantage of in-person and early voting. In terms of the cost, what, what is the, what is the, the cost incurred for this type of, of system? Is there, is that even, are we able to even tell that yet? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a difficult number to, to grasp there because it definitely, you know, it, it, it differs depending on which community you're in and Detroit's costs are going to be a lot more than sure. let's say Tawas city or whatever is, it's going to depend on there. I, I know that um, at least the city of Dearborn said they estimated it would cost about $125,000 additional to run mm. those nine days of early voting. So that's an example of what you'll see. And there's a lot they have to keep, keep in mind with it, you know, staffing, um, different uh, equipment and materials. So there's, there's a lot that they're going to have to to consider as they move forward. Well, and those are, those are dollars that weren't necessarily accounted for when they budgeted their last, their last uh, city budget, county budgets, whatever they were. And, and so, um, you know, the, 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 the domino effect is a potential attempt something else suffers uh, down the road. But in the meantime, uh, some things are changing here. Uh, and uh, and we'll see how people adopt to it. Bethel Bonk, great stuff. Thanks so much, as always, for your time. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, that's Bethel Bonk over at the Detroit News. As now, this option for you to vote early, up to nine days early in some communities, uh, uh, just in time for the, the February 27th primary here in the state of Michigan. Love to get your thoughts. 800-859-0957. We'll take your calls, your texts. Coming up next as we continue on here on WJR. All right, welcome back. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. So voting changing in Michigan. You'll be able to vote nine days before the election. And, I, you know, for me, it's one of those things where it's almost, 
you kick something down the road and you don't really think about it until it gets here and then you have to deal with it. And you're talking about, depending on the municipality, depending on on how these counties have it set up or how, the, how these cities have it set up. I mean, you're, you're spending a lot, of, a lot more money to manage these extra days of voting. Now, you can go vote in person early. You can vote early absentee ballot. Um, so there's different ways to vote early. And this is not something, truthfully, that I've heard from the RNC recently. There was a push... Uh, I guess it was last year, maybe early to mid 2023, where the RNC was pushing out a, a, a an early voting campaign. But so far, that has mostly fell by the wayside. But more and more Republicans, I think, are getting to the point where they are embracing early voting. They are embracing the idea of banking that vote, making sure that that it is in and counted. That way, if something pops up and you can't get to the polls, whatever it is, your your vote's taken care of, your vote's, your vote's counted. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Another thing I'd like to throw into the mix, as I have been, you know, I've been... I don't want to sound like, you know, scared of technology because that's not my my bag. But there is a new open AI chat GPT model. It's called Sora. It is a new text to video AI model. Now, I've been beating the drum on deep fakes and how AI is going to impact this election. I think it's going to be very impactful personally, at least as we stand today. I think that these videos are so convincing to some. These videos are so convincing in a way that it can shape the way people consider a, a political candidate. So for example, this new uh, branch of OpenAI, Sora, text-to-video AI model, um, it's very basic. All you have to do is create uh, a situation, a, a scenario. You type in what you want, and it will generate a video. Like, for example, one of the prompts that OpenAI put out on, on X Several giant woolly mammoths approach trend, uh, treading through a snowy meadow with their long woolly fur light blows in the wind as they walk snow-covered trees and dramatic snow-capped mountains in the distance, mid-afternoon light with wispy clouds and a sun high in the distance. And sure enough, you got a, you, you got a, a bunch of woolly mammoths in a picturesque mountain range uh, flanked by massive pine trees running through the snow. I mean, really stunning stuff. And if you didn't think woolly mammoths, you know, were extinct thousands of years ago, you'd think, oh, this is pretty good. It looks pretty, looks pretty real. And, and there's a lot of other ones that are much more convincing. But the point is, this is the type of, of technology that scares me when it comes to 
making big decisions for the United States like picking a president. 800-859-0957. Cindy is in Novi. She joins us. Hello, Cindy. Yeah, hello there. Hey. Um, my comment is um, for so many decades here in this country, we had, um, you know, one-day voting. We mm-hmm. had paper ballots. Mm-hmm. We had everybody presented their photo ID. Mm-hmm. And everything seemed to be running smoothly. I know that COVID threw a lot of things off. Mm-hmm. But what would be the real reason not to go back to what we had before. What would be the need to have early voting for eight, nine days before the actual election date when everything seemed to be able to be accomplished previously when everybody knew it was that day? They knew it, they had to plan for it, and they did it. No, I, Cindy, I think, you're, I think you're right. I think it's a valid argument to make. I think that you can use COVID as an exception and not the rule and not continue to build off that. I mean, I guess my only point is, I, I, you know, the way that we normally vote, right, the traditional way is one day, here's your ballot, you go in behind the curtain and you fill out the bubbles and, and you go feed it in the machine, right? That's the one that everybody looks to as the standard. But the reality is times are changing, technology is becoming more advanced, and, uh, you know, there, there's probably a, a path down the road where, you won't even need to go anywhere to cast a vote. You'll be able to vote in real time from wherever you're at. Well, you have to be able to secure the election. And with technology, there have been things that look skeptical. Absolutely. Um, and so I think when you talk about securing the election, we can look back at what worked in the past and just say that was probably the best way to do it. Do you do you feel like the elections are secure with this way, where you have to go to a you know your your county offices or your township well, or city been done offices? In the past, and- yes, with paper with paper ballots and and checking photo ID and having voter rolls mm-hmm. that somebody's checking when you walk in and you've been doing it for years and you see. Um, but I think when you get mixed up with early voting and um, ballots that aren't a lot, just being allowed to vote, everyone vote early, um, then I think in some instances there's been manipulation. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it allows the more ma- manipulation it, the, the, with more time they have. And you're also talking about the cost yeah, the, of the, early voting. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the chances so, are there, right? The, the, there's the, more chance. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. I think you're exactly right. And yeah, to me, right. the money's a big issue. Right, if these and the if, money would be a big issue too. If to these communities these didn't plan members. for this, if they didn't plan for this in their last budgets, and it's going to cost somebody like Dearborn, one hundred and what fifty thousand dollars, one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. Yep. So what, what what gets sacrificed? So what's the need? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What is the true need? Just because you say technology is advanced, that doesn't mean it's advanced for for the good or for the regular or for this purpose, purpose of an election. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, so Cindy, they good need stuff. to really look back at what worked and just go back to that. Yeah, Cindy, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Tom's in Windsor. Hello, Tommy. Hello, I'm just uh, calling from the Hayseeds up north. Now, how can the Hayseeds do it? We have to have a paper ballot. You have to have photo ID. It's the second biggest country in the world. What is it, 6,000 miles from coast to coast, and we do it all in a day. We, mm-hmm. we know the winner of the election that night. Now, how, how can it, I mean, really the only reason why you string it out is so that so you can cheat. There, there is no other way. There is no other reason. What'd you say? No, and, and Tom, I hear you. I, 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 I get that a lot 
from people. I don't I don't think it should be discounted. Um, it does provide for more opportunities for for inaccuracies. It does provide a platform for for potential issues. I have no problem with that. I guess being definitive, I guess I don't I don't totally agree, even though that, you know, I, I think that first of all, I think any of these parties or these groups that are backing certain ballot initiatives, they are backing it for a reason, right? And so when these, in the case of this particular uh, measure, nine days of early voting, there were a number of left-wing organizations that were promoting this. And so I think there, I think these parties are always finding a way or trying to find a way to get of get an advantage without flouting the rules and if you are able to curtail the rules well then it will allow more time for people to vote and so again do i have an issue with it on its surface like if you work on november 5th and you can't get to the to the to, the, to your uh, your precinct well that's a bummer right I mean, like, there are those that say, well, why don't we just have a national holiday? Election Day is a national holiday. Nothing's open. Everybody has the opportunity to go to the polls, right? That would that would cure a lot of this. But on the, on the face, I don't have an issue where people need to have an opportunity to go to the ballots. And if you work eight days, nine days in a row, whatever it is, you should be able to, to fit in time to go. But at the end of the day, do I feel like these parties are trying to find a way to give themselves an advantage? Of course I do. Yeah, of course I do. Tom, I appreciate it. Got to take a break. We'll get to more of your calls, your texts coming up next. Also, take a look at this issue with the UAW. Another potential strike looming as it results uh, to the Blue Oval. That's next on JR Afternoon. So some contention between the UAW and Ford Motor Company, particularly Stemming on the comments from Jim Farley that they are going to reevaluate their their footprint as it pertains to building vehicles because their relationship with the UAW is is different after the negotiated contracts that happened uh, in in 2023. There's also this story where the UAW is threatening a new strike at the Ford Kentucky plant to help us break it all down. Merrick Masters, the business professor and labor expert at Wayne State University, joins us. Professor, good to have you back. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. Good afternoon. Did you, uh, let, let's kind of, let's start with the bigger news in chronological order. Jim Farley came out and talked about this relationship with the UAW, how it's different, how they're going to look at their manufacturing footprint going forward. What did you make of those comments and what does it signal to you? Well, I think he said the quiet part out loud. He's obviously making a statement to signal to investors that they're keeping their options open and will make sound business decisions going forward. And I think that everybody recognizes that management has a prerogative to make those kinds of decisions. He said the quiet part out loud, and I think uh, obviously that he knew at the time that he said it or should have known that it was going to arouse the UAW, and they responded accordingly by signaling that they thought maybe that it's time for Ford to look for a new CEO. 
does that did that surprise you when you heard that from him? Um, uh, obviously, the ramifications are pretty big, but did it surprise you to hear that from Jim Farley? Um, not really. I think that there are some sore feelings. I think during the course of the negotiations, um, he had some concerns about the approach that the UAW was taking. And I don't think that Sean Thane, um, made any effort to really uh, assuage those concerns. I think what perhaps Ford expected is that they would get some social credits for a good relationship in the past and having more hourly workers than the other companies. But Sean Thane made clear from day one when he took over that this was a new era, that cozy relationships with management are over, and that he was going to use a new approach in the negotiations. And he did that. He bargained hard. And I think it's important to remember that both parties signed the contract, and now they have an obligation to move forward. Now, whether or not this helps things move forward, I don't know. But both men are probably big enough to not let this interfere with their jobs. Uh, what is the what are the ramifications of this? I mean, could could you see a scenario where Ford moves production uh, of their of their any of their vehicle offerings uh, to locations outside of UAW jurisdiction? Um, or, or do you think they stay pat for the most part? Well, I think that they'll look at these decisions going forward and make the best decision based on the business case that is made, and that may include locating facilities elsewhere. But they certainly have the prerogative to do that, and I wouldn't expect them to do anything different. In the meantime, the UAW uh, is is threatening um, a strike at Ford's Kentucky plant. That is one of their huge money makers. They produce the Ford Super Duty there, the Expedition, the Lincoln Navigator. and and there is some sort of contract issue with the local UAW there. What is the issue uh, at at the heart of it, and um, and what what are the impacts of this potential strike? Well, I think they have concerns about health and safety issues, and the preservation of the integrity of the skilled trades. They don't want to see any diminution in the, um, those positions. I think that it boils down to health and safety mainly, and in the UAW negotiations, they decouple their local from their national negotiations. So historically, it's not been uncommon to have local strikes which have followed the national agreements, Mm -hmm. and this is just another example of that. I wouldn't read too much into it. I think the parties locally as well as nationally, the UAW nationally has to approve of the strike before it can take place. And so Chuck Browning, the international vice president, has asked Sean Thing to approve of a strike by the members at that local if they want to. And we'll wait and see what happens. Perhaps this is an extra nudge they need in order to get things done. I don't want to be hyperbolic here or or – you know, try to paint a picture of of fear or anything like that. But it it does feel like a new frontier in the auto industry with a lot of questions about the future of of what type of automobile we'll be driving, whether it's electric vehicles or gas powered vehicles or hybrids. Um, But but it does feel like a a, a pretty important marker in the in the automotive history. Where, Where do you think that we stand today in terms of the future Well, I think that the auto companies in the U.S., uh, the the big three, so to speak, are um, particularly Ford and GM being headquartered in the U.S. They are behind in the transition to electric 
education and need to get caught up. And they're very concerned. I think Jim Farley was absolutely right to be concerned about the potential Chinese footprint in the United States. China has indicated that they may be building a facility in Mexico, and they are selling cars, um, EVs in Europe as kind of a beta test for perhaps uh, importing cars to the United States at some point in time in the future. The situation in the auto industry is wrought with a lot of structural challenges, technology, as well as environmental climate issues that put pressure on companies to electrify their fleets. And I don't think these things are going to dissipate. I think, if anything, uh, the competition globally is going to be keener, and it's going to be less U.S. and European-centric and more Chinese and Indian-centric. And we're going to have to adopt to adapt to that kind of uh, reality. And from from a big three perspective, is that the the I mean, obviously the reason to to stay on pace with some of these companies is so important. But is that why they need to maintain a, a strong hold in the United States? Well, I think they 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 will have to begin to think in terms of where they can make the most money, mm. and they realize that their markets here are are smaller in terms of the demographics than they are in other parts of the world. And so they'll have to be able to sell vehicles that make them more money because they can't compete really on the volume. When you look at the situation recently, uh, China and India sold over 30 million vehicles mm -hmm. in a recent year. <clears throat> the U.S. and Europe, the European Union combined, sold about 28 million mm -hmm. Uh, so that's the new reality that we face, that, um, that they have huge markets, and China has made it clear it's a command and control economy, and it can determine what will be done and produced and not have to worry about the profit loss statements that uh, American companies do. A very important arms race, certainly. Merrick Masters, always good to get your insight. Thank you so much for the Thank time you. once again. I appreciate again. it. Thank you for having me today. Take yep. care. Yep, you do the same. That's Merrick Masters at Wayne State. we got to take a break. Get you caught up on some of the news-making headlines. We'll also get to your phone calls, your texts coming up next as we continue on here on WJR. All right, welcome back. Three o'clock hour. Get you ready for your weekend. Mitch Album coming up at four o'clock as well. Uh, I've got tickets to see Santana and Counting Crows. Give you an opportunity to win those coming up at 348. Uh, also, we have some breaking news. The judge in the Trump civil case, his civil fraud case, has found him liable. Uh, $300 million fine and has barred Donald Trump from running his businesses in New York for the duration of three years. Donald Trump has called this case a fraud. The former president has denied any wrongdoing as it pertains to overinflating his assets, uh, overinflating the company's assets. But this is New York Attorney General Letitia James. She was looking for $370 million from Donald Trump. Uh, and the judge fined him $300 million in this case. Uh, the judge concluded that whether it was uh, Eric Trump or others in the Trump organization, they repeated and persisted in fraud. That included 
falsifying business records and financial statements. Letitia James argued that those financial statements were exaggerated by as much as $2.2 billion. But the, I, you know, look, obviously that's the case and that's what the, the judge ruled. You know, I, it always is interesting to me when the only person that would have, the only entity that would have been defrauded were the banks. And they never had any issues with, with the evaluation of Trump assets. So uh, that's a little bit of breaking news, uh, and we'll, we'll continue to watch that story as more information uh, becomes available. The other case that uh, pertains to Donald Trump certainly has, has uh, implications for the Trump hearing is down in Georgia. And Fonnie Willis is, well, she testified yesterday, not testifying today, but it's an evidentiary hearing. And it hinges on the idea that Willis, the DA in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, the the seat of Atlanta, uh, was acting improperly by hiring Nathan Wade, paying him more than $650,000. They took expensive trips together that she says she reimbursed him for in cash uh, that there is no paper trail to. And, and whether or not this impropriety or alleged impropriety or, or the look of impropriety should, ha- should, should remove them from this case. And I think the wide-ranging ramifications of that, at least in the in the far term, is that it's going to take significant time for another prosecutor, another county, to hop on top of this and get caught up. I mean that is that would be that would be pretty time-consuming. It would be it would be a lot of heavy lifting. And it would certainly push the, the case further on down the road. It would, it would create a situation where I, it, it would be very difficult probably to have this heard, case heard before November 5th in the election. So as that evidence you're hearing continues, we'll keep you up to date on that as well. Uh, President Joe Biden has put Vladimir Putin in his crosshairs as Alexei Navalny winds up dead in a Russian hard labor prison. Um, this is somebody who was was really the only vehement, outspoken critic of Vladimir Putin to organize an effective political campaign against Putin, against the Kremlin, pushing for free and fair elections, pushing for accountability and transparency, and this was somebody who basically is a prisoner of the political system in the state of Russia, in the country of Russia. And he winds up dead. Joe Biden saying today that no doubts that Vladimir Putin is behind his death. This is somebody who's also survived, what, uh, uh, poisoning, an acid attack. I mean, this is pretty nasty stuff. And um, he ends up uh, dead, uh, harsh conditions, uh, in the north portion of Russia, and uh, and and now once again Vladimir Putin um, in the crosshairs uh, from the White House. Eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven eight hundred eight five nine zero WJR. We're also talking about early voting uh, coming up 
uh, you'll be now be able to vote nine days early. Uh, and this was passed by voters in this state. And if you want to weigh in on that, that's there for you, too. Dave's in Rochester. He's got some thoughts. Hello, David. Dave. Dave. Walter, uh, Dave, I'm sorry. Dave, Dave, hold on. Hold on. We, we brought you up a little late. I want you to start over. We How are you, Chris? I'm great. I'm great. We just didn't catch the first part of your comment. I wanted to make sure we got you. First, okay, we're talking about the mail ballots, the voting system, mm-hmm. early voting, everything mm-hmm. else. Cindy, your first caller. <laughs> she served you up a couple of softball questions, I thought. And I don't know where you stand because you, you didn't seem to answer them. First of all, she said, why can't we go back to the old way? Well, first mm-hmm. of all, democracy allowed us. We Before COVID, Michigan, let's just take Michigan, 2000. 18 proposal three that's Mm -hmm. what the voters wanted they didn't want to stay in case they're sick there's weather conditions sure Uh, there could be a three-hour line so why not why not create bureaucracy that's one of the the uh uh two softball questions the second one was these vulnerabilities create how come no one can answer that question what vulnerabilities every state brought she brought up Paper ballots, yes, that's commonplace. I think 46 or 44 of the 50 states use paper ballots. Mm-hmm. You have a master list of control, a master control list, let's call it, okay? Okay. Every election, you can only have one one ballot's got to match. Yep. That, that ballot's got to match on the master control list. The master control list can only have one vote, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a simple rudimentary reconciliation process. So where's the root, where's the problem? Every time they do audits, oh, we have these dead people on, and then they mm-hmm. look at the votes. Well, we didn't have any dead people upon. You got an audit process. You got a paper trail to audit it. And whether they look at residency, everything else in Georgia, they do special audits to 2020 in Wisconsin, not just recalls, but all sorts of items. There's never any vulnerabilities. So why? What is it when people make these charges? Of all these shenanigans, how come there isn't any well, that they can document? Well, Dave, I think, first of all, I think we should note that every election has has irregularities. I mean, every oh, single okay. election. Wait, no, hold on, really? hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, you're, I, you're getting worked up. I'm not trying to get you worked up. It's a Friday. I want to have a nice conversation. Every single election has irregularities. Every single election, there are votes that don't match up with that master role that you talk about. It's it's not necessarily nefarious. That's the reality. And so with that reality, when you open up more avenues, hypothetically, right, the rule of averages would tell you that there exists a higher possibility of those irregularities occurring. So what Cindy was saying was, why not just go back to where you get a ballot, you go to the polls, you fill it out, you put it in the machine. And that's a, a va- I don't. I don't besmirch somebody for having that opinion. I also don't believe that that it's it's realistic to think that way. I think that we are going in a situation, we're probably going to be in a situation in the next handful of years where you're going to be able to vote off your phone. So, like, I, I'm, I'm not stuck in that past, and, and Michigan residents want it, so we go with it. I just think it's different, it's something new, and it's something people are going to have to be accustomed to. May I respond? Absolutely. Okay, regularities. Well, I was 160 million votes. How mm-hmm. many irregularities? Give me anything close 
Give me anything close in the presidential election that came close to having any significance. significance. I, I didn't okay? say significance. I don't care about absolute. I Nothing didn't say absolute. significance. I didn't say they were well, significant irregularities. We, 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 irregularity, obviously, any any sensible human being is talking about a level of irregularity that has a level That's what of significance I said. attached to it. That's what I said. You just got you just got you started the conversation saying every election has a they yes. that's the reason we know about that we have that reconciliation process I mentioned, okay? At the end of the day you get the final results. Tell me tell tell me what results should be should be questioned after we go through the, this process and, and validate certify an election. I, I Dave, I don't you're you're I don't think we're talking about the same thing here. I'm a little confused. Uh, the, the only point is, as you open up more avenues for voting, the, those irregularities become more of a possibility. I'm not saying that every vote is going to be fraudulent. I'm not saying every vote is going to be irregular. I'm saying that the possibility exists, whether it's in small numbers or big numbers. I didn't put a qualifier on it. It exists. So that's why people are, are they question it because it's new and different and they don't, it's it's not the way that they do things. I don't think it's, right to take somebody to the woodshed on that i think it's fair to ask the questions i think it's fair to take the temperature of the people it's what we do all right dave gotta run uh take a break we'll get to more of your calls your texts will open things up our when our in our free for all friday uh as we continue on here on wjr all right free for all friday we'll open up the lines to you uh obviously a lot to talk about i i you know what i am curious about this this, the possibility that this Russian satellite, nuclear-powered satellite, is going to cause some major issues. Dave, have you been following this story? Throw your headphones on. Have you been following this story of this Russian satellite? You know, not as much as when you told me this morning, and, and then I kind of looked into a little bit. But so it, 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 is, it is kind of fascinating. It, it is a problem that it, it almost seems like, you know, we're, we're not we're not really covering this i feel like the way we probably should be i mean as a as a as a you know an industry this would be really problematic now i'm not saying that the united states wouldn't have an answer to it i'm not saying that the united states you know wouldn't be prepared for something like this but the idea that that we are now going to see an instrument being used from space that would be able to jam our communications, that would be able to lock up our connectivity, that would be able to jam us out of our internet or our phone. I mean, that would cause a lot of issues. I mean, it would be it would, it would be chaos. Let me ask you this. Dave, when was the last time you used a map? Oh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, realistically, it, 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 we would have to be... I mean, we'd be going back to an entirely different era. And again, I don't. I'm not an alarmist. I'm not trying to 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 make this a bigger deal than it is. And it, this isn't. You know, the United States is is obviously hip to the idea that Russia has this technology. But my point is, the idea that something like that exists uh, is is pretty scary uh, when it, you it shutting sounds, down communication like it that. It kind of sounds like a James Bond movie. They just made a movie on Netflix about this. Did they? Well, this was who uh, uh, Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke and Mahershala Ali. I forgot what the movie's called, but it's it's literally about there is no communication. Mm-hmm. There is some sort of 
uh, attack and everything's jammed up. I I just oh yeah I know what you're talking about where they where they go yeah what's that movie called they're like at an Airbnb or something in the Hamptons yeah the end of the world or something like that it was actually a very good movie I enjoyed it very much but my point is it's it's very it's eerily similar to that eerily similar right um and I, I I again I think that is an issue not saying that the United States wouldn't have an answer but you know that's that's a Pretty how much of incredible society, technology. How much of society would not would not even know what to do? Dave, I mean, would you be able to go buy groceries? Yeah. I mean, like their systems would be down. Yeah, true. I mean, you'd have to have somebody punching in the numbers, I guess, manually. Right. Or you'd but, have to go but, back to the but everything's on your credit card right. uh, machine. Oh, do you mean that? Like, do you remember that with, with, with the carbon copy? Yeah, they'd have to put it on the thing and then they would oh. slide the thing across it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how else you do it. it. My my point is, it would cause a lot of issues. It would cause a lot. I mean, the the disruption would be off the charts. I know when you when you're uh, trying to even, you know, watch television these days, and like something happens. And you can't get the the, the router. Yeah, pops or it, things I mean, are it, pixely. And I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? Exactly. Come on! It's like the, it's like, the like, whole, it's like the whole world is crashing. Yeah, yeah. No, I I just think it would be a problem. And and I again, I'm, I'm not making it a bigger deal than it is. I just think that it's you know most people think of an attack coming from a a weapon or even a cyber attack, uh, a a, a, a hacking. Uh, you know, a hack against a grid like those issues. This is sending a satellite into space powered by nuclear energy that you would that would, you know, be attacking the United States in a way that would shut down our communications. That's shocking. I mean, that that would be that would be that's a whole new level of of an offensive attack that the United States would need to know how to defend. Yeah, no doubt. No, again, not saying that they don't I'm just saying it, it's a it's a whole other world when you consider the type of technology that would be applied. All right, let's go to Mike in Clinton Township. You kick us off uh, on our free-for-all Friday. Hello, Michael. Hello, Chris. Hey. I have a question for you. Okay. What's the difference between what Biden's doing to Trump and what, um, you know, Putin did to Navalny? Well, uh, uh, Donald Trump is alive. Uh, Donald so far. Tr- well, I mean, come on. I, 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 don't, I don't want to participate in that type of discussion. Well, you know, he's he's putting he's trying to put his uh, chief opponent in jail, right? Uh, is I mean, do you make the argument that Joe Biden is or others are? Joe Biden is okay because his, his what Justice what is Joe Department, Biden doing to put Donald Trump in jail? Well, how come the prosecutors are meeting at the White House? When did they meet at the White House recently? Yes. Okay. I mean, boyfriend met there a couple of times and charged her for it and wrote a bill for meeting at the White House. Yeah, I, you know, th- that that would be speculation that, again, I don't want to go down. But, but hold on, Mike. It's, Mike, if you want to tell me that there is a whole host of Democrats that are trying to put Donald Trump in jail, I buy that. It's the Justice Department. Okay. And we know who operates the Justice sure. Department. Yeah, fair enough. So what's your point? I'm just saying it's getting to a it's it's getting to where it's getting a little bit ridiculous. I yeah. don't know who wants to uh start eighteen sixty four all over again, but they're they're trying. 
I, I, I hope nobody is trying to start that. I mean, that would be, that would be, I, I, I don't, I don't even think that's even in consideration, Mike. I appreciate the call. Matt's in Rochester. Hello, Matty. Hey, thank you. I'd like to cover a lot of ground and probably what is a little bit of time. Um, just listening while I'm on hold, the system that Russia, they don't even have it yet. And it's a missile system that would be in space to allegedly shoot out satellites. Mm-hmm. Now, we have this system that we can employ, and other countries as well, called an EMP launcher, which would also take out electrical grids and cause the same kind of havoc right here on the planet. And we mm-hmm. already have that. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's ironic, it's ironic that they're having trouble getting funding for Ukraine, and now we've got more fear-mongering to say, oh, Russia's got this you know, crazy uh, system that they can shoot satellites out of the sky. They don't even have it. It's not, at least the stories that I'm reading and hearing, is that the system doesn't even exist yet. But that's really not what I'm talking about. I want to go well, back Matt, to Matt, Matt, hold on. I'll give you your time. Can I just say one other thing? You, you talked about the, the irony here. It, it came out right after uh, this, this bill was passed in the Senate to, to send aid to Ukraine. Uh, also, coming on the fact that, you know, Joe Biden's faculties might be slipping and this damning report shows that he's just this, you know, affable old man with a failing memory who's also running for president. I know. I think the irony is all there. And also, they know that it's going to be a struggle to get it passed through the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but here's my real point. Do you remember the the resistance and the, the outcry and all of the things that were done and the results of 2016? And do you remember all of the hubbub when Al Gore basically took the state of Florida to task in exactly the same way that Donald Trump is questioning Georgia when he lost the election. Yeah, the hanging chads. Right. Do you remember who his lead attorney was? Who's who? Alan Dershowitz. Yes, yes. Alan Alan Dershowitz led the team for Al Gore. Yep. um, And and The reason I mention that is because Dershowitz is not a Trump supporter. No, but he has come. He has come. Yes, he has come to the aid of Donald Trump multiple times. You're exactly right, Matt. I got to take a break. More next. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. We got our free for all Friday. We got Santana counting crows tickets coming up for you in about 12 minutes. So keep listening. We'll give you an opportunity to win those. Uh, let's go out to Gary in Brownstown. What's up, Gary? Hey, Chris. How you doing? Good, man. Good. Hey, I'm a retired air traffic controller, okay? Back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of our uh, communication navigation systems were ground-based. Unfortunately, they're not anymore. And uh, so hopefully somebody out there is listening that we have some kind of ground-based backup because if all we've got is the satellites, you know, if this really happens, I mean, everything is screwed transportation, commerce, you know, the Internet. Uh, so I, I'm just hoping that maybe there's something they're not telling us about, that they have some kind of backup plan, because, uh, you know, we had two or three contingency plans. We lost our trans, our primary transmitters and receivers. We had a backup. If that failed, believe it or not, we even had light guns that we could use to give signals to, uh, you know, aircraft in the tower and uh, or, or transfer them to other facilities that maybe still had communications capability. But I just hope there's something out there because, if, you know, there's so much of our stuff that, that we know is satellite-based. But I'm, I'm hoping that there's, you know, another plan. What happens if and, – and then the second thing about that is what that last guy said. Why is our government holding us hostage psychologically? The media, you know, the public, 
why don't they just tell us, look, this is what they have. This is what we're going to try to do to make sure it doesn't happen. What's the big secret? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. People and the media nuts. No, and, and Gary, I think that that's the kind of the frustration for me is you talk around in circles what this technology is or what it's capable of. Look, Gary, do you believe that the United States has, you know, tactical equipment or or technology that would be able to counter an offensive like that? I'd like to say yes, but after the weather balloon fiasco, I'm not 100% sure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I guess that's I fair. God. Yeah, I guess well, that's fair. I I, I, but, I would imagine that they do. I would venture well, to guess that they do. But with that being well, said, for, I'm sorry. No, no, I no. I, I the worry though exists, right? The the yep. the, the concern is very real, and so. This, no, go ahead. We're sitting there laughing right now. You know, where's our psychological warfare? I, I mean, you give it to a bunch of high schoolers, they could probably figure out something that would drive the Russians nuts. I probably you know, could. I, I, and put it on TikTok. Put it on TikTok. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate your time. Buddy. All right, Gary. You have a good weekend, my man. Thank you. 800-859-0957. You can call that number or you can text that number as well. Dave, what do we got on that front? Text here from Anna in Gross Point Park. She says, tabulation machines have a 3% error in reliability and repeatability for counting. In Georgia, Trump lost by 12,000 votes. That is less than the counting error. That is an irregularity. Mm-hmm. What, what is also an irregularity is how a mail-in ballot doesn't have a fold in it yet is not marked as suspect. Uh, say that again? An, uh, a mail-in ballot, ballot is not do- what? It doesn't have a fold in it, meaning that it's not folded. It's like just flat, yeah. and, and it's not marked. as. And she finds that to be weird. Uh which I I, I, I guess I don't know to be true. Have you voted absentee? Have you um, voted no. mail-in? I've never done mail-in. Me either. So I'm not really sure. Uh, I think my mom has voted, and I'm trying to remember. I think she's I think she's right. I there th- definitely would be a, a fold in an absentee ballot. There would have to be. To, Correct. I mean, because the, the, le- the, the, the letter would be just. It would be huge. Yeah. So I, I so, would imagine there's a fold. So I, I guess there would. But I don't understand because I've seen the I've seen the way that they do it. So I'm trying to I'm trying to find out. I, I guess I'm not really understanding either why it would be uh, suspect. Interesting. But uh, uh, all right, thank you, David. Let's go to Don and Grand Blank. Hello, Don. Hello. Hey. Um, yeah, I had another comment on uh, absentee voting. Mm-hmm. I voted absentee several times. Um, I think. Uh, once ballots are outside the control of the polling place, all kinds of shenanigans can happen. Um, you know, peer pressure goes out the window at that point. For example, in California, they have um, ballot harvesting is legal. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine people going in uh, around their local community and say, hey, we're having a fish fry. Bring your ballots. We'll help you fill them out. You know, those kind of things can happen. You know, this is all new. So once large numbers of ballots or send out absentee, mm-hmm. you know, people will figure out ways to swing elections. You know, sure. elections can be close. Absolutely. So it doesn't take much. Nope. It doesn't take much. You're right, Don. So, no, uh, it's it's a great point. It's a great point. And, and again, I, I think that goes back to this idea of, well, why don't we just put, you know, go back to you, you get a ballot on election day and you put it in the machine. And I think that's fair. But I think there, you know, the, these concessions that are being made and these changes in the way we vote are, are happening, and they're happening oftentimes at the behest of voters. Their voters are voting in favor of this. 
Here in the state of Michigan, that's the case. So that's what people want. That's where the system moves. And I think you try to you try to maneuver within that system. And I think both political parties are trying to find ways to use it as an advantage. Let's go to June in Ann Arbor. Hello, June. Hi. Hey. I just want to comment that I've been listening all day mm-hmm. to uh, WJR, or not all day, but at least a half a day. And I've not heard one comment about the Hunter Biden investigation in terms of the Smirnov, uh, the the witness, the key witness. The FBI, the FBI informant. Right, and I just want to know what your opinion is of that. Well, this is why I think it's important to go down the avenue of of investigating whether or not there are improprieties from the president of the United States. Like for those on the right that say, well, impeach Joe Biden, I say, why? Based on what? Um, if you're going to go do the due diligence and the investigation, well, then do it. Um Right now, this impeachment inquiry for for the Republicans, it doesn't look very good. It doesn't look like they have much of a leg to stand on. But I don't I don't mind going down that route when the White House stalls, when the White House acts as an impediment to information. It raises the eyebrows of people like me, people probably like you and others as to, well, why aren't you being forthcoming with information now? Again, there's arguments around that, but the idea that the White House continued to stall on it was a, was problematic for me. Because if you don't have anything to hide, then let's get it all out in the open and in the light. But no, no, the, the, this this investigation, this impeachment inquiry by the Republicans, right now it doesn't it doesn't look very solid. What are your thoughts, June? What do you think about it, June? And on. Um- in doing this investigation when they could have been doing something constructive. Well, okay, but but let me, can I counterpoint that? This is, this is also part of the responsibility of Congress to act as a check and balance. If there is something wrong happening, they all, they, that is part of their job as well. Yes. And this was uh, basically from the house of representatives. Correct. And they base their their knowledge on this false witness. They base part of it on on the on the the now this this FBI informant who's been who's been indicted. So what else do they have it have it based on? Well, there's a I number thought, of issues. I, I mean, the, it was the major witness. I think sure, your component in this yeah. case. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And look, I, I don't. Th- this is why for me. Impeachment traditionally, maybe save for Richard Nixon, has been a political maneuver because very rarely do you get to the Senate and you are found guilty in a trial. Right. It it is purely political. It's a it's a badge. It's a I guess a, a, a badge of shame that you have to wear that you were impeached. In reality, nothing happens. Right. It's it's purely political. To me, it often stems in this desire to score political points. So I, I, I did what I do detest is I detest this idea of back and forth that we have to go and impeach presidents because one president was impeached. I hate that because you're you're misusing a tool that is supposed to be serious. It's supposed to be reserved for somebody who does something incredibly wrong. I think Donald Trump was impeached under false pretenses as well. Well, I'd like to hear uh, an apology from Grassley or. Jordan or uh, the other Republican senators that are representatives that uh, brought up this impeachment charge based on Smirnov's testimony. 
Well, okay, but hold on. If somebody comes forward, an FBI informant comes forward and gives the goods on something, you're gonna you're gonna use that as a basis of of an investigation into a president. If it comes out later that he's a fraud, well, then you deal with it. I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know that it deserves an apology necessarily. They're operating under a set of circumstances and a set of information, and that's what they're that's what they're running with. I don't know that oh. it's necessarily a, a deserving of an apology. The FBI never backed this guy. They never said he was a credible witness. But that's true, too. That's true, too. June, I appreciate the call. I'm up against it. I'm sorry. I got to run. We'll take a break. Uh, come back for more here on JR Afternoon. All right, 348. Need you to be caller number 9, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Win a pair of tickets to go see Santana and the Counting Crows in concert June 25th. At Pinam Music Theater, official rules can be found at WJR.com. Tickets are also on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. It's going to be a fun show. Uh, all right, Steve Courtney joins me uh, as the Genesis continues on. Uh, and Tiger Woods just scraping by trying to make the cut, Stevie. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Chris. He's got some work to do. Uh, good afternoon once again, my friends. This conversation brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your Windows Roofing and Siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter the performance remodeling sweepstakes. First things first, uh, we go back to uh, Tiger's first round yesterday, uh, and he kind of struggled towards the end, and then he would go on to say that he was suffering back spasms during the last few holes at Riviera. Uh, You'll recall he attempted to hit an 8-iron from the right side of the 18th fairway. His uh, back locked up. Consequently, his ball rocketed dead right into a eucalyptus tree, of all things. Not good, but then keep in mind, Tiger, all of a sudden, 48 years of age, uh, he finished his first round at uh, one over 72. I will let you know right now he has gotten back to even. Uh, He is through three holes in his second round. Taking a look at the leaderboard there, Chris, how about Jason Day? Uh, Just a consistent player, isn't he? He's pacing the action right now. He's at nine under, three under for his second round through 17. Patrick Cantley, he's also at nine under, uh, two under for the round through four. And uh, Will Zalatoris, got to mention this. Right now, he is uh, in a tie for seventh. He is at six under, minus one for the round, and he aced the par three fourteenth. And uh, the PGA Tour is sparing no expense these days. Not only does Will Zelatoris get a car, so does his caddy. How wow. About that? That's tremendous. They've uh, come a long way, haven't they? Yeah. I, uh, I'll i tell you the one. I, I really enjoy, look, watching what these guys can do with the golf ball is incredible. I love when they shank a ball. <laughs> I love it. Because, look, this game is so difficult, and I just feel like, all right, if I do it, and you do it, everything's fine. Everything's well, all and, good. In that vein, did you see yesterday, Scotty Scheffler, nothing but outright respect for the way he plays the yeah. game. Uh, by the way, he's at six under right now, three under for the round through 13. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was the 14th, par five. He three putted for par and then took the ball and threw it in some shrubs. Mm-hmm. Who hasn't been there? No, we've all been there. Who hasn't done that after a three putt? 
Yeah. Sometimes worse. Yeah, sometimes worse. Sometimes things are said. And, uh, yeah. No, it's true. Um, um, I, look, I, I think for Tiger making – see, here's the thing. And, and this is where something I think people struggle with with him is because of who he is, because of the success that he's had in his career, it's like making the cut isn't good enough. But for a guy who's playing so little, um, that that does have a impact, especially when you look at, you know, some of these bigger tournaments, major tournaments, tournaments coming up. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And Tiger's plan is that uh, he was going to uh, play in a tournament a month. That is the schedule. Uh, of course, all the majors are included in that uh, wish list. Uh, I'll let you know right now at the Genesis Invitational, the projected cut right now is one over par. So if Tiger He's is in. able to maintain, yeah, he'll be playing this weekend. But again, uh, he is, let me take another quick look. Yeah, still uh, even through three. So uh, hopefully he can uh, uh, keep her going. That would be a nice little story in and of itself. You're, you know, first competitive round on the PGA Tour in 10 months, and uh, you're able to uh, make the cut. His playing partner, by the way, Justin Thomas, uh, he is uh, in a sad state of affairs. He's at two over through three. So uh, there's that. How about that? Did you see the uh, U of D got their first win? Yeah. As KB joins us? Yeah, uh, way to go, Titans! Uh, you know what? It's uh, it's it, it's nice to see. They were really struggling. I'm happy really for struggling. that one man court the, storming. And, and there was the, the <laughs> one. There was look when you get into a situation where they are were oh and what twenty something, um, twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah. I mean, you're owing twenty six. Your fan base is, has abandoned you because you're you know you stink and. Uh, there's one guy, one guy out there who storms the court after the win and he throws his hands up and he's the only guy. He wasn't even out there very long, right? Well, he the walked out, part threw is, his hands up and turned around. Security looked at him. Oh, yeah. don't, don't worry about it. The, the, the <laughs> players looked at him. Oh, don't worry about it. There was one guy that like got up and I thought he was going to go out with him. That guy just like went for the exit, so he was like, "I want to worry about him." Remember, there's another guy that walked along. He just went for the exit. It's the greatest. Just, just the one man store. Then he looked around and said, "Nobody's following me." Then he just put his hand down right, and like oh, stood there. Oh. I guess okay. And he's going to be known as that guy forever. Forever. Get that man season tickets or give him a seat on the bench or something. He needs. Hey, remember when? Uh, remember when Larry tried to storm the court after the one win? That was great. <laughs> it is quite a depressing storm, a st- a court storming. Now, you know, I grew up around U of D, and I was mm-hmm. there during the Vitale years where place you couldn't get packed. a seat no. on a Tuesday night because we used to park cars on, uh, like in my driveway and pay. We used to park oh, cars. Really? Y'all lived right around the corner. Okay. So we used to park cars for people to go in, and we watch cars for people on that parked on the street. So, you know, I'm a U of D guy. I've seen that at its best and its highest and the seat the way it's the way it is now, it's, it's just sad, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's a it's a proud program, obviously, with a lot of history. Uh, it's just, you know, these, these things are cyclical, so yeah. hopefully they, they come around again. 
Well, it's hard to get players now. You know, back then you could get a Terry Tyler, you can get a John Long, right. you get a Kevin Cassetta, you get a, mm-hmm. all these guys, you know, Dennis Boyd, all these guys. But now everybody wants to go to, you know, these other places or these academies now or that get you right to the pros. You don't even stay in college. It's, yeah. It's all crazy. No, no, you're right. I'm down on college athlete, athletics, period. Yeah, I know. You're, you're, yeah. yeah, you are, Kenny. You're uh, a real depressing. funk. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Steve, you have a nice weekend, all right? Enjoy have the golf. Have a nice weekend, Steve. We'll talk to you Play next golf. week. Yeah, uh, play golf. Yeah. Do you say that? Go to Top Golf. There you go. Yeah. All right, fellas. Enjoy the weekend. All right. All right. See you, Steven. What do you guys got coming up, AJ Hinch. We're going to talk some Tiger baseball today. We're going to talk about the uh, Russian person that was killed in prison oh, in yeah. Russia. Lexi gonna, Navalny. Yeah, we're going to talk to a person who retired from the radio business today. He's going to be on with us. I'm not going to mention his name. You okay. either know him good. or you don't. Okay, good. Rock. All right, so you, you got a rock. lot to do. Rock. Big rock. All right, very good. All right, All right Mitch, I'm the crew. Coming up next. Have a nice weekend.